Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Ohio is the top state for overprescribing and death from opioids. Why don't the Ohio prescribing guidelines go far enough to address the problem? Will the seven-day restrictions that were placed on opioid prescriptions in Ohio, initiated by Governor Kasich, solve the problem? Here to talk about that topic and House Bill 167, better known as Daniel's Law, a bill to stop overprescribing of opioids, is State Representative Jay Edwards from Nelsonville, Ohio. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Greg. I appreciate you having me here. and, and uh, I cringe every time I hear that statistic that you said there. And you know, in Ohio, we we like to be the leader in a lot of things. This is not something we're particularly proud of of, of leading the country and the amount of overdose deaths um, in the country right now. No doubt about it. So you've looked into this extensively, Representative yes. Edwards. So can you describe the problem in Ohio with overprescribing today? It's it's a real problem, and you know it, we're seeing it across the state, um, and it doesn't matter what population you're in. If it's a more affluent area, if it's a more poverty-stricken area, such as where I'm from, um, it tends to uh, it tends to be a little bit worse in Medicaid and higher Medicaid populations because of reimbursement levels and having to see more patients. Uh, doctors having to see more patients because reimbursement levels are much lower on a Medicaid basis um, than areas where they're getting more private payers. But addiction does not discriminate. It doesn't matter about gender, race, um, income inequality. It doesn't matter. It's how you were brought up. Um, if it fit dives into you and your genetics and, and you find yourself um, under the scope of addiction, um, we're seeing that it, it doesn't really matter your background. It, it can really dive in and affect your, your life and your whole family's life. So can you give us some perspective on why our state is so bad compared to other states? Mm-hmm. That seems to be a bit of a mystery. I think it, it comes down to a very complex system. I think Ohio is, is a we're seeing more of, of you know, foreign cartels in different places. Um, it tends to be an area where there's a lot of ports to come into and be able to travel in, in, more, uh, in, more, in a lot different areas. You can come to Ohio and travel anywhere in almost a day within the United States, especially within the eastern United States. You can drive to almost anywhere within the day. So it's kind of a center hub. Um, you know, as to the specifics on why, I think it's still being studied. But, but all we know right now is, is it's really bad. Um, and we're seeing that there's a direct correlation between the amount of opiates prescribed and the amount of overdose deaths per year. It's, it's a direct correlation. So your office has um, really put together a program and a bill to address that and address it aggressively. And you were inspired by Daniel Weidel and yes. his story. Let's start there. Tell us a little bit about Daniel's story. 
So when I heard when I very first met Scott Weidel, who's Daniel's father, um, it was it was kind of perfect timing because I had just met with mm-hmm. a, a director, Dr. Joe Gay, in southeastern Ohio that has a health recovery services, um, an inpatient treatment facility, and we talked about this direct correlation between prescribing uh, over prescribing of opiates and, and overdose deaths. And when I met with Dr. Weidel or with Dan, with Scott Weidel, um, we discussed uh, uh, we discussed the same thing. And as we're diving into it, I'm telling him about this conversation I just had and agreeing with him. And then he tells me his son's story. And he tells me his son's story is, is battling with this addiction. Um, Scott, being a small business owner, a very good father, very good man, very good family. Um, it just shows it can happen to anybody. Um, and, and I'm hearing this story. Um, of, of, it just It's very sad that it's so common um, because I've heard many before. His was a little bit more unique in the sense of, um, he had some problems with addiction, problems with overprescribing, um, and and he was able to get on a, a Vivitrol treatment, which I think we're going to talk about here later on in the show, which is a non-addictive, uh, non-addictive, non-opioid treatment option. A shot for uh, thirty days. A shot for thirty days. He was able to get on this, and because of a change in his circumstances between his health care and changing doctors, um, he couldn't find a doctor to give him to continue him on this treatment, and, and I, I think it was somewhere around six months he was on the treatment. Mm. Um, so he was completely clean for six months. Yes. And of course, with Vivitrol, even if you go out and use, yes. you're not going to get high. Absolutely. Completely box your opiate receptors. Absolutely. So he's doing great for six months, and then bam, he just he can't find anybody. How did that happen? Because there's just not a lot of doctors. One of the things our bill's trying to address is, is uh, treatment options and address this major factor that many of these doctors and, and some many that are over-prescribing or offering opiate-related treatments, uh, such as Suboxone or Subutex, um, are not offering the other stuff. And, and uh, you know, it's such, a, it's such a bad problem that we have in the society mixed with the overprescribing that we have that uh, many of these folks get into the program or want to start this Vivitrol program. Um, and the window to catch them wanting treatment and, and willing to go through treatment is so small. And but yet uh, they're not able to, and, and that's what happened with Daniel, and, and he he then uh, got back onto drugs because he was out of the Vivitrol program for so so long and overdosed, and and I just give Scott so much credit because there's many people that cope with with a child's death differently or a death in the family differently, and he chose to deal with that much differently than most. He came to Columbus, um, he left his left his wife and his other kids and his business, and he came to Columbus with no financial incentive nothing monetarily in value to him whatsoever and and fought and met with legislators and met with myself and worked met with the senate and met with the governor's folks and met with many people on this trying to fight a cause and trying to save more people's lives so that parents didn't didn't have to go through the same thing that his son went through so let's break down the bill a little bit shall we yes so absolutely. this is bill 167 mm-hmm. and it's better known as daniel's law yes so the cdc introduced new prescribing practice guidelines and measures that, that would actually help the over prescribing problem in ohio but ohio has its own guidelines so yes why don't they just adopt the new guidelines from the cdc it's a very good question um it's something that you know doctors and pharmaceutical industry fight against and when coming up with a bill there's been a lot of pushback we're still working through it um, we have senator bob hackett sending senator hottinger who's introduced uh, the same same legislation in the senate um and we're working through it right now and and you know a lot of people view this especially doctors view this as an attack on doctors it's not there's many doctors saving people's lives um, but there are some that are over prescribing and quite a bit um, you hear consistently that in the state of Ohio, the number of opiates are, are being reduced, the number, amount of opiate prescriptions and the amount of pills. While that is true, it's not changing prescribing habits. If you look at the amount that are prescribed based off the number of doctors writing and the number of patients receiving, the amount of pills per prescription has gone up. 
So while they're saying this, um, amount has gone up. So we're still over about 65 in the state of Ohio of pills per, pres- per opiate prescription wrote. And this bill is really trying to go after prescribing habits as well as treatment options. And we really need the medical community's buy into this. We realize that the bill's not perfect. It needs work. And it takes doctors who work in that and that to, to work with us on getting this thing right. Um, and it's one thing that we've really been asking for in Columbus is to get them in, not just outright oppose it, but work with us on getting this right. And we realize they're opposed to it. We realize they don't like legislators telling them what to do and stepping on their feet. And we completely understand that. However, we have an epidemic on our hands and, and it's time to put that bickering to the side, work with us on getting this thing right, work with us on these doctors that are overprescribing and ways of, of opening up treatment options and trying to reduce, reduce the amount of opiates prescribed. So Governor Kasich placed a one-week restriction on opioid prescriptions. Why aren't those measures going to be enough to help solve this overprescribing problem? Yes. Well, a few years ago, we put in ORS uh, in the state of Ohio, which is an automated prescription, um, which is a firewall almost. Absolutely. It's reporting to allow the doctor and the pharmacy to to almost act as a firewall and trying to reduce this. Um, And it it has helped. A lot of doctors point to this as a a appropriation or as a a way to... uh, why their prescriptions are on on the decrease um, in the state of Ohio, uh, not not per prescription, per not per pills per prescription, but the number of total opiates. They point to that a lot of ORS and what ORS has done. However, um, so again, just for those that are unfamiliar with yes. it, so as they're prescribing, they look it up on this database yes. known as ORS, the yes. state database, to find out for that patient if they have any other scripts uh, outstanding that would be you know that would prevent doctor shopping as they call it. So one thing our bill is trying to do that the governor's plan didn't do is close the loophole um, of a week-long prescription not having to be reported on ORS. Um, it doesn't have to be reported. Not a week-long prescription does not. So let's say you were prescribed Suboxone or Vivitrol that a couple days before as a treatment option, and you go in and hurt yourself, sprain your ankle, you can go in and get a week-long prescription and put you right back on, this, on, on opiates. Um, so it's definitely a conflict. It's definitely something that needs fixed to loophole. So anything under a week, that's one of the things our bill's trying to do. Our bill is also trying to open up treatment options by saying that if you're writing one of these addictive Suboxone, Subutex, addictive treatment options um, that actually has um, an addictive trait within that uh, medicine, um, you also have to offer the non-addictive treatment option. Um, And then also our bill is trying to produce more education for doctors, which we know they go through a wide range of education. Um, But there are a lot of doctors where the opiate problem went around. Um, So if you're wanting to prescribe over the CDC guidelines, which is three days up to seven days, um, you need to take an extra class on um, addiction and understanding addiction, um, and, and that will be continuing education throughout. Um, but the reason I talked about ORS early on in this question was because the Governor Kasich's uh, proposal, while I greatly accept his proposal, I think it's a great, great idea. It's definitely he sees the issue and wants to work on this. Um, we're hoping uh, uh, that it works. Um, however, there is going to be two negatively affected things. Number one, um, there's an exception in there for doctors to put in their medical records a reason why they don't see fit to, to abide by these restrictions. Um, so with, with ORS already into effect and it's not really helping on as far as the prescribing habits, how much is just this bill that's not going to be law, that's not going to be, um, it's really just an agency rule type thing. Um, how is it going to, if doctors see fit, all they have to do is write a note, put it in their medical records, and they're able to overprescribe or prescribe above the CDC guidelines. On top of that, um, some doctors will abide by this by law. And there are, there are certain instances uh, that we even realize within our bill where people are way above these limits right now. 
um, that we need our bill needs to grandfather these in because if you if you pull the rug out from underneath these patients, uh, you know they're going to go straight to the street drug, go straight to heroin, which is the reverse effect of, of what we're wanting to happen. Um, so we're working, and that's again I get back to needing the medical community's buy-in of helping us with the bill, sitting down and revising the bill, and we've been going through that process now. Um, of trying to realize, trying to figure out a way to grandfather people that are in chronic pain, that have been on long-term opiate use, or that are at a high use of opiates right now, of ways to bring them down sufficiently without pulling the rug out from underneath of them and having the reverse effect. So, Representative Edwards, this may sound like a dumb question, but why isn't the medical profession buying in? Or there, other than they don't want to be backed into a corner, they want to have their flexibility and prescribing, and they're the ones they're used to really having complete and free reign over this. That's just it. They do, they just do not feel like uh, led legislators should be able to tell them what to do. They work in the medical community uh, and they're experts in their field, and and they hate to see things codified in Ohio law. Um, surrounding what they do. And, and, you know, I think they realize the, the problems uh, with what's going on. Um, but it doesn't seem, as far as the people in Columbus um, that we deal with, um, but I'm not sure some of these doctors out there do. Um, and that's really the reason for the bill. And not all doctors, again, this is not an attack on doctors, but there are some that are overprescribing. It's evident in the numbers. It's evident in the, the number of overdoses. I try constantly to look at the numbers to, for interviews like this when I'm talking to people to be able to throw out overdose numbers and addiction numbers. The problem is, is it's growing exponentially from one day to the next, from one hour to the next. You can't even keep track of the numbers right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, your bill also increases treatment options. How yes. does it do that? Yes. So uh, as previously mentioned, we're going to uh, require that if you are offering a, an addictive um, treatment option, um, medicinal treatment option, such as Suboxone, um, we, you are required to offer Vivitrol if a patient comes in and asks for it or a non-addictive option. Um, that may be something new. So it might not be Vivitrol, maybe something new. Right now, Vivitrol is kind of taking the market, um, which blocks them from feeling things from opiates and has shown that uh, great success. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a negative side to it as well. Um, but we are we are trying to, um, uh, similar to Scott's son, Daniel, uh, we're trying to, to make that more prevalent in doctors' prescribing habits that this option is out there. And if a patient comes in and asks for it, like Daniel did, um, why not write it? Why not give these patients this option instead of writing them this other thing, offering them this other thing, or just sending them out the door? Again, these patients are in dire need of treatment, and the window to get them treated is so small that we need to increase options and access for them so that when we catch them in this window, we are getting them help and getting them treatment. Is one of the challenges associated with the Vivitrol the cost? Absolutely, and, and we're, but we're seeing that become better. With Medicaid, we're seeing that become better with private pay. We're seeing insurances um, deeply get more involved, and, and that's something that, that we're potentially going to look at and address in this bill um, with the medical community's buy-in. Um, but you know, it's it's the cost is very expensive, and so twelve hundred bucks a month. Yeah, something like something right, right, around thousand to twelve hundred. There's a lot of programs through drug courts across the state right now that they're getting grants and they're offering this. Um, the people that make Vivitrol are an Ohio-based company. I've never been there. I've never actually met any of those folks, but I do know they are an Ohio-based company where they make that drug. Um, but you know, I think that uh, it's an option that that has proven better, higher success rates than Suboxone. Um, more specifically, the Suboxone clinics, where you're just writing a prescription and getting them out the door. There needs to be mental health and treatment um, with this as well, um, not just medicine. It's a very complex problem that that requires a complex approach. There's not going to be a one thing that fixes addiction. So. Speak to the proposed online uh, IOP education. Yes. Uh, again, it goes back to the beginning of this podcast and talking a little bit about it. This can happen to anybody. It, it does not. It does not affect. Um, it doesn't matter your upbringing, your race, your gender, your age. 
It can happen to anybody. Someone goes in for a back surgery. Um, you know, a doctor, uh, a lawyer goes into a back surgery. A lot of people, I think, view this problem as someone down on their luck, and, and yeah, it might be more prominent in those areas. However, um, I think that uh, we're seeing it across the state. It doesn't matter if you live in an affluent area, if you come from an affluent area, what your income is. And that being said, there's a lot of people that are staples in the community. They're very well known in the community. They deserve treatment options too. And they, they feel, um, I've heard from many that feel somewhat maybe humiliated or embarrassed um, to admit to this problem, to publicly go in front of a, a drug court or publicly go in front of counseling, group counseling that may be required through a drug court. Um, so we're trying to offer a counseling portion that's more online based so that so that people can feel comfortable and actually go through with it rather than putting it off, coming up with a reason not to go through with it because their, their embarrassment is not allowing them to go through the counseling portion. Okay. Another aspect of your bill is a requirement for medication taper therapy. That's a phrase that I don't think most people are familiar with. So could you share that with us and what that really means and why that's important? It's very much important in the sense of we have a lot of doctors, again, that are overprescribing and prescribing at high levels so that people are getting a high level of opiate or opioids in their system every day. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of times they'll get cut off from that doctor. Um, and then trying to see a new doctor, they see how much, op- how many, uh, how much, what the level of opiates that they're currently on, and they won't take them on as a patient. Or the doctor that's currently um, got them to this level um, does nothing and just keeps them on this level or keeps increasing. We want to taper these people down. We do, we do not want this to be. We do opiates are not, are not, we're not formed and not brought into the system, and we're seeing this through the CDC guidelines. Um, to be effective forever and you, something you should be on forever, especially at high levels. So we want to get them up. We definitely think they serve a purpose in the medical community um, and in medicine, but we want to get them to their purpose if needed um, and then bring them back down. And people that are on high levels, it's shown that you can't just pull the rug out from underneath of them or they're going to run to other options, which is the reverse effect of what, what they're wanting. But there are, it does prove effective to lower them a little bit at a time. And we're not seeing that happen a lot in, in the medical community now across Ohio it, in that it's either people are staying at high levels or they're getting the rug pulled out from underneath of them. We're wanting to develop tapering programs so that if people are on a very high level, we can lower them a little bit at a time to the point where hopefully we can get them off opiates altogether. Are there other aspects of this bill that we should be aware of? Um, we've touched up on a lot. Uh, you know, I think the bill is going to go through changes um, as, as it should. It should get put out there and go through changes. And, and we're sitting here, many people um, that, that work on legislation and work on bills um, are very uh, firm on their bill and they want to fight for it. And we want to fight for it. I mean, these are people's lives that we're seeing every day. I'm seeing and my, my peers now seeing them go through these changes and tearing families apart. We want to work with the medical community. Again, we need them to buy in. We need the medical board to buy in. We need the pharmaceutical companies to buy in. We need the pharmacy board to buy in. Um, We're asking everybody to get a seat at the table, come sit with us, and let's figure this thing out together and let's fight this thing together. And and that's really what we're after. Um, We want to get it right. We don't want to leave any stone unturned. We don't want to make anything where we are looking back upon and thinking, wow, this had a reverse effect. Um, so, you know, very, one of the very complex things that we're working through is something that I've talked about a couple of times is the grandfathering in of people in chronic pain or people that have been on long-term opiate use. And it's not, a, it's not an easy solution, just as the, as the addiction problem is. It's very complex. Trying to fix the problem is very complex as well. Um, and, and we can't just uh, pull the rug out. So in trying to figure out how we're going to grandfather certain people in and get them on a tapering program um, proves to be very tricky. Uh, and and the, the most amount of pushback or the only pushback that we've gotten are people that are long-term opiate users that are 
not addicts, but claim that they have been on opiates successfully and chronic pain, and they're saying, well, you're going to cut us off now? That's not what we want. Um, my heart goes out to these people. That's not what the bill's after either. Um, so we want to make sure we have exceptions in the bill, and we're working in the bill that to not leave these people out and not have the reverse effect of getting them to move. So it's one of the biggest problems that we're facing with the bill right now, uh, and we're still we're still doing it. We're having interested party meetings uh, quite often and, and trying to get, uh, now that we're through the budget in Ohio, we have much more time to work with these folks, and, and hopefully that uh, we, can, we can get them to come work with us. They've proven that they've been more receptive as time goes on. Um, hopefully that continues, and, and we'll walk away from this thing thinking, we, we've hit on every every topic, and, and we're really going to see, similar to the ORS legislation that happened a few years ago, that many of the same people sitting at this table were against at the time and now are coming in touting how great it is, and that's the reason that uh, opiate prescriptions are down in Ohio uh, and the number of opiate pills are down in Ohio. We're hoping in three to five years the same, the same group of people will be looking back on this legislation touting how good it was for Ohio and how we've changed prescribing habits. So just as we've seen in health care at the federal level, at the state level, there's both the House bill, Daniel's Law, that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. and there's a comparable bill in the Senate. How are they similar or different? You're talking in Ohio? Yes. They are the exact same. So, we, we, yes, we work with Senator Hackett and Senator Hottinger um, mm-hmm. to, to introduce this bill. Um, they are the exact same, and they are coming to these interested party meetings and sitting with us and trying to work through these these problems together. We all realize the problems. We all realize the the, um, the, the problem that's going on in Ohio and how serious it is, the problems we need to address in the bill, um, and we're, we're all working together. So how that gets passed through, I don't care. I don't care if it goes from the Senate version, moves faster, and makes its way to the House. What I care about is getting it right and make sure, making sure we get it done. Um, and, and that's really, and not getting it done until we get it right. Um, and that's something that I know Senator Hackett and Senator Hottinger are um, agreeably uh, agree, um, agree upon with myself. So we're all working together. We're all sitting at the table together to try to get this thing figured out. Where does the passage, where do we stand? So um, we're working through the bill. It's been introduced in both the House and the Senate, and we're working with the medical community. We're working with many advocates, opponents, proponents, interested parties, um, and trying to get it right. Um, we're looking at, hopefully here, uh, we just passed the budget, so we're kind of on a recess now. When we get back uh, towards the end of summer or into the fall, we'd love to have uh, testimony on this bill. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of opponents come out and testify. Um, while offering up some amendments or some substitutes to the bill um, to make sure we're addressing some of the issues associated, some of the issues we're not even aware of yet until we have more of these meetings and get more people pulled in. Um, so it's it's kind of in the process that it's it's great that it's been introduced. Um, I don't have a time frame, and I wish we did. I don't think any bill you can tell when it's going to be um, when it's going to be passed or if it gets passed. I know leadership has its eye on it and greatly supports the bill, I think, in both chambers. Um, so that's, that's a great plus. And, and uh, you know, how could you not um, with the problem that's, that's affecting the state? Um, so we're going we're gonna to hold the committee responsible, the chairman and the, the people in the, in the committees um, in both chambers responsible of, um, and hold their feet to the fire to realize the work that we've put in, what we're after, and, and try not to let uh, the pharmaceutical industry and the doctors and, and the lobbying firms associated with those two industries um, win on this fight. And, and again, it's not an attack on doctors. It's an attack on the doctors that are overprescribing. How can people help support passage of Daniel's Law? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, something that I, I do want to talk about before before we get off here is Daniel's story. And, and a way to find that out is, is you can go to a website, danielstory.org. It's D-A-N-I-E-L-S-S-T-O-R-Y.org. Um, I 
greatly uh, would you know would suggest that people go to this website. It's uh, you can learn a lot whether you've been affected or not been affected. There's great resources there. You can learn about Daniel's story. You can talk to Scott. You can talk to many people associated with that organization. Um, videos. There. There's videos there's that tells the story, and, and especially you know if you're a parent or dealing with a family member or dealing with someone you know, a friend. Um, you can go here and see how this is. This is not. You're not in this alone. This isn't. You're not uh, a rarity to this. This is something that's very bad across the country, very bad across the state. And you can find help. And I think it, it really will help people just as much as Scott coming to Columbus to work this cause um, uh, for no financial incentive and taking time away from his family to do so. So um, it, it's something that uh, I'm very appreciative of Scott's work. Uh, very appreciative for him to come to me, very appreciative for me to come to him to work on this legislation. He's done a, done a tremendous job on on advocating on a son's behalf to try to save more families because it, it's just tearing families apart, um, the addiction across the state. And uh, really, really happy to work on this and really excited and gung-ho about getting back in the late summer, early fall and, and trying to get back in committee and, and get this bill right and get it passed through. Well, I tell you, this is really has been um, so informative. So what final thoughts would you have uh, for our listeners? My final thoughts is, you know, reach out to your state representatives, you know, get on ohiohouse.gov or ohiosenate.gov, talk to them about this. If you have, uh, I'm very easy to get a hold of, whether it's social media these days or reaching me through my office, uh, email. Um, I'm very easy to get a hold of. If you're, if you have thoughts on this field, if you have thoughts on this bill, if you want to provide insight, if you have ideas, um, rather than getting angry, that's fine if you want to get angry. But when you call us, um, just talk to us about it and tell us because we want to listen. We want to talk to people that have either gone through from all different sides of this that has experience. And we need them to contact us and, and give us insight. And, and, you know, just like Scott did, um, you, can, you can provide insight by sending us a message, talking to us. I get back to almost everybody. I will call you um, or email you back. Um, and, and, you know, there's possibilities of having you come to Columbus and join us on these meetings and trying to get this bill right. So I would ask you to reach out to myself, reach out to your other state representatives if you're supporters of the bill and talk to them about why you're a supporter or an opponent. Um, uh, as well as getting on danielstory.org and, and finding out what, what happened here, what happened to Daniel, talking to Scott. Um, he's been a great, such a good advocate. And, and, you know, advocacy goes a long way and real conversations go a long way. And I think this is such an uncomfortable problem we have here in the state that's going to take us getting a little bit uncomfortable if we're ever going to try to fix it. And what's the best way to reach out to you? Um, you know, Rep94, uh, Rep94 at OhioHouse.gov is my email. Um, you can get on online and send a direct communication without even having to send an email. My phone number is on the OhioHouse.gov if you go to my, uh, my website on there. Um, again, Jay Edwards, Ohio on Facebook, Jay Edwards, Ohio on Twitter, Jay Edwards, Ohio on Instagram. So in the world of social media, people reach me on there. A lot of times they don't think it's actually me um, talking to them, but it is. Um, so it's, uh, th- that's an easy way to get a hold of me. And, and again, we contact everybody back, me or my office does, and, and we love having these conversations. There's no way for us to represent people of Ohio without knowing this. And, and something else I guess I do what would like to throw out is we don't think this bill's a fix. We don't think it's a fix to addiction. We don't think it's a fix to, to the overdose deaths. Um, we think it's a step in the right direction. There's been many a steps over the years. We think it's another very big step in this case. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of problems. It's a very complex problem that's going to provide, it's going to need a lot of very complex solutions. This isn't a solution. I don't know if we'll ever find a perfect solution. This is one step. Um, and I think it's a big step, but I think it's, I look at it as we have a leaking faucet right now in the state um, with opiates hitting the streets. And, and you look at the conversion rate of people that are dying of heroin overdoses 
almost 80 to 90 percent of them showed up in ORs at one point in time. Um, so many of them have led from, from opiates, whether it was prescribed to them or prescribed to someone that sold it to them. Um, we, I look at this as a leaking faucet. You walk up on, there could be a hundred things wrong. Until we're going to sit down and address the problems, I think the first thing you do is you shut off the water to the leaking faucet and really try to address the problem. And I think that's what we're trying to do in this bill. Um, and then we can begin fighting on the next step of the journey. Well, I want to thank you, State Representative Edwards. Really appreciate your time today. Yes, thank you very much for having me. We've been joined today by State Representative Jay Edwards, Nelsonville, Ohio, who has led the charge on a creative bill to stop overprescribing by the name of Daniel's Law that was inspired by Daniel Weidel and uh, his story. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.